I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Because you have been so kindly listening to or watching slow-mo, I have had the opportunity over the last three years to at least once a week meet an incredible, incredible human being with a set of values or thoughts or experiences that taught me something and hopefully gave you the opportunity to slow down and reflect on something that you normally don't give the time to. Of those, some that came early in our work with slow-mo were conversations that didn't get as many viewers or downloads as they deserve because basically some people joined later. They were very, very successful at the time they came out, but now that slow-mo exploded into the numbers of listeners and viewers that we have today, some of the new joiners may have not seen them. So... Munir, myself, and Vlade, the tiny team that actually gives you slow-mo, have come together and decided maybe we should sprinkle three or four of those conversations into December and January as a form of rewind, if you want, so that you get a chance to enjoy them. This is also our way of slowing down a little bit further looking back into something that was wonderful instead of constantly aiming for the new. I hope you will enjoy every one of those and I hope at the same time you will give yourself the opportunity to reflect back on all of the other conversations that we have enjoyed together in the last three years and perhaps look back at some of them and enjoy those too. I'm almost certain you will enjoy those. They were not only some of my favorite conversations on slow-mo, but some of my favorite conversations, period. January 27th is the International Day of Commemoration uh, in the memory of the uh, victims of the Holocaust. One event in history that showed us how low humanity can go when we are motivated by the wrong ideology. In that memory, regardless of what your belief or patriotism, where your patriotism lies, we need to remember to never repeat this kind of atrocity, which sadly, as we can see around the world in 2023, some signs of similar kinds of conflicts and hate are arising. Very early in slow-mo, I had one of my absolute best conversations ever. Actually, probably the reason why I doubled down on slow-mo and decided to grow it was in episode 50, I met with Dr. Edith Eger. Dr. Edith was born in Slovakia back in 1927 to Hungarian Jewish parents. And of course, as a result, she was drafted to Auschwitz when she was 16. She witnessed with her own eyes as her mother was sent to the gas chamber and she had to dance to entertain the angel of death, the German general that was sentencing people to their death. 
And as she did, and perhaps was given a small piece of bread, she took that back to take care of her sisters, to show us the ultimate, ultimate form of angelic behaviors that humanity can reach. In 2017, when Edith was 90 years of age, her first book, The Choice, came out and became an instant bestseller. When I met her, her second book, The Gift, both are incredible pieces of work, came out and we focused a little bit in our conversation on why she looks at such a horrible memory as a gift. I'll tell you very openly, when my team asked for ideas for Rewind episodes, the very first episode, without a doubt, that came to my mind was my conversation with Dr. Edith. I hope you will not only enjoy this, but I hope it will give you hope. Because Dr. Edith Ager, truly and honestly, is how we want to remember the hard times. It's not Hitler, the scum of humanity. It's Dr. Edith Ager, the angel of humanity that makes us human. This is why I have hope in humanity. This is one of my most favorite conversations of all time. I hope you will enjoy it too. Dr. Edith Ager. Hello, how are you? Hello. You are here. You are there. <laughs> this moment is one of the highlights of my life. Thank you. My late husband was bored. <laughs> I already love you. This is the absolute highlight of my life. You are so wonderful. So wonderful. And I, I want to start with a confession, to be honest. I love you so much. Like, I have so much love for you, even though we have never really met in person. But whenever, you know, I watch one of your talks or if we're talking on Zoom like this, I'm just in a constant state of a virtual hug. Like, I really, it's incredible who you are. It really is incredible. I feel it. We're going to have a wonderful, memorable interview. I already know. I feel it. Yeah, I really think you will change the life, as you always do, is probably every day of your life. You'll probably change the lives of tens of thousands today, just with your incredible essence, which is so unbelievable. I have one more confession before we, we start talking about this. I think you are the most attractive woman on planet Earth. I swear in my heart, I do. I mean, even my beloved ex-wife, which is like the most amazing woman I've ever seen in life. When I look at you, I, I'm like, oh my God, look at her at 92. And I, I never understood because sometimes in your talks, you, you say that when you were younger, you didn't feel that you were as attractive as your sisters. I'd hate to see your sisters then. I mean, like, what are we talking about here? Well, my mother told me very seriously, I'm so glad you have brains because you have no looks. <laughs> oh my God, did she really? It's very important for people. There is such a thing as a generational legacy that we kind of take it from uh, generation to generation. And I'm not angry at my mom, but 
I became, you know, a very learned, uh, erudite uh, teenager. I had my own book club. I gave lectures on Freud and these kinds of things. That I grew up very fast to to um, look at it as uh, a way to examine the lives. When did your childhood end? Yes, very important question. Yeah, because some children are... Uh, little boys are made to be mommy's little man and everybody loves you. You take the old people across the street, look at my son, but the son doesn't realize that the child is no longer here. I have to be a little man. I have to be responsible, especially when daddy goes to the military and you left mommy to take care of. And I think it's very important as we talk for people to look at this time in COVID-19, to take time out and inventory of their lives. Where are they now and how they can regroup and also make a decision how they want to live the rest of their lives and not to carry guilt because guilt is in the past. And not Absolutely. to ask why questions, why? Because that requires and because you're looking for reasons and then you don't know what to do with the reasons. So it's better to say what, what, and what do I want now? And not to struggle between trying to somehow be loved by everyone. This is what happened to you, right? You, you, you were mommy's mother, weren't you? I mean, growing up. I was mommy's mother and I remember taking care of my mom and consider it a kind of a privilege that I was trusted with that, not realizing that I didn't go out and just kick the sand and, and just be a kid. And so I was always a, a kind of a very serious child. But I think that God put me in that family that I could also spend a lot of time alone. Because when I took care of my mom, I was doing uh, my um, responsible job. But I spent a lot of time alone. And I think in Auschwitz, I had those inner resources and functioned better, not waiting something to happen outside. That's a good definition, actually, of a victim who's waiting for someone outside of them to come and set them free. And if that person or that thing doesn't come, then life is unfair, I'm the victim, rather than I'm in charge, yeah? I am a victim. A victim say, why me? Survivors say, what now? Yeah. I live in the present. I know. And I think young, I think young. So, Edith, help me understand. So, this happens to a lot of people. A lot of people actually sort of skip childhood for many reasons. Sometimes, you know, parents want us to be in charge. Sometimes parents want us to be serious. Sometimes parents want us to be who we're not. I mean, just if even if you think about it, they want us to study geography while maybe we want to play football. What would you say to a person that's grown up and forgotten their childhood. When you ask them and say, when did you stop being a child? What's the next step? I think it's very important to know that many of us give up our genuine self, our true self, to fit the family 
like if you're a firstborn child, my son-in-law got the Nobel Prize, and I did some research that most of our Nobel Prize winners are either firstborn children or only children. Interesting. Very interesting. They are the responsible one, and they have to be the role model to the siblings. And then is there a chance for me today at 53 to go back and visit my childhood and be a child again? That's the work I do, grieving, feeling, and healing. You can't heal, but you don't feel. I love that. And sentence. I take your little hand and we revisit the places where you've been. But we don't get stuck there. We turn the corner and then we become our own observers. And that is very good to really gain an awareness. I also tell people, if you want to see anything, ask yourself, is it kind? Is it really important? Is it very necessary? And if it's not, then don't say it, because no one throws on criticism. Don't say you're a handsome little boy, but you're too fat or too pimply. <laughs> yes. This is... A a very Western thing, it's, uh, it's called kiss, kill, kiss. Huh? It's like, you're so handsome, but uh, you're a bit fat, uh, but handsome nonetheless. <laughs> I mean, the reason I love you so much is I heard you once say this. You said to acknowledge that they were beautiful people too. You were talking about the Germans that imprisoned you in Auschwitz. And basically you were saying, I went back to acknowledge that they were beautiful people too. If I would have been born in Germany and someone told me that today Germany and tomorrow the world, the whole world, I would have been very enthusiastic little Nazi girl too. That level of forgiveness, Edith, is not human. So, you know, the story of someone who you were in your teens when you were taken to the concentration camp. 16. And within hours from getting there, your mother was taken away and you were told so harshly, so harshly that she must be burning in that chimney over there. And yet you still find not only forgiveness, but you use the word beautiful people too. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I, this is not human. Well, I think I had a very loving God, and I call it Tinkerbell. That's free <laughs> spirit who told me that these are beautiful children born with love, and somebody brainwashed them. We're not born with hate. We learn it. And then we live what we learn. You learn. You were told, um, I was in Auschwitz told that I'm subhuman, that I don't deserve to live because I'm cancer to society. It goes back to Plato who says you have to think of a lie and it has to be a big one. And then you keep repeating, repeating until people believe it. So our biggest enemy is ignorance. I beg children and adults to question authority mm. rather than blindly adhering to authority. It's very important, especially in politics, to question authority. 
to question authority. You know, my hero is Churchill, uh, and Churchill uh, took a risk and told the world, we're going to fight. We're going to fight in the, the ocean. We're going to fight, you know. And, we shall and, never surrender, yeah. And if it wouldn't have been Eisenhower getting together with Churchill and starting the Normandy invasion, I wouldn't be here with you. I'm so grateful because they came to get me. And that's how I am surviving today. And I'm here with you because I think I was saved so I could guide other people. I like the idea of being a spiritual midwife that many people <laughs> call me. I, yeah. I like that. I like to be a midwife to everyone and they can give birth and claim back to that precious, genuine self that you gave up for the family's needs. You sure have been to me, and I'm, I'm sure to many, many, many others. I wonder, though, if when you say you were saved because of Churchill, I mean, in an interesting way, if you don't mind telling us the story, you were also very much saved because of you, because of your actions, because of your attitude, because of, I mean, so if you don't mind me asking, you know, you are there, and I remember that moment, and it just hurts my heart every time I think about it. When someone harshly tells you your mother must be burning in that chimney and you hug your sister Magda and you say the spirit never dies. The spirit never dies, she told me, and that's how I entered Auschwitz. See, my sister was the pretty one. <laughs> You're stunning. I'm going to keep saying that. I tell you, she was the beautiful one. Even today she calls me and tells me I'm gorgeous. <laughs> and in Auschwitz, she looked at me there we stood, right, in our nakedness, and she looked at me and asked me, how do I look? Mm -hmm. And I realized that I became her mirror. Mm. I always ask people, before you see something, ask yourself whether it is complimentary, whether it is kind. So yeah. instead of telling her how she really looked, totally naked, naked and bullheaded. I told her, Magda, you have beautiful eyes. And I didn't lie. I said, you have such beautiful eyes. And furthermore, I didn't see it when you had your hair all over the place. So you see, you have a gift in everything. That's my second book is called The Gift. Yeah. Has anyone told you that when you were there? Has anyone told you, you know, helped you, supported you? when you were going through all of this? I, I think we were there to support each other because if you were just for the me, me, me and your ego needs, uh, you didn't make it. I think it is very important for us to cooperate and not compete or dominate. And we had to really empower each other and form a family of inmates. Mm. Because when I danced for Dr. Mengele and he gave me a piece of bread, I could have gobbled it up myself. But thank God, I climbed up. I was on the top. There were three places. We were on the top. Cooperation was the name of the game. And, and I took the bread and I shared it with the girls. 
And in May 1945, when I was in a death march, and I was going to be shot when you stopped, the girls that I shared the bread with came and formed a chair with their arms. I can still picture it. And they carried me so I wouldn't die. But when we arrived in Gunskirchen, cannibalism broke out and people were eating other people's flesh. I hope you never ever experience such a thing. And I asked, I'd like you to see the sound of music because it was there. And I asked to please help me. I don't want to touch another person's flesh. And Gad also told me, just look down. And I had grass to eat. And I remember today that I even chose one blade of grass over the other. So when I go to a class, I run to the blackboard and I put on a blackboard, I can't. And then I grab the eraser, I take the apostrophe, the T, I can. Why? Because I think I can. What I think, I create. You're not sad first and then you think. First you think and then you feel. So it's important to think about your thinking and paying attention what you're paying attention to. Because whatever you pay attention to, you actually reinforce the very behavior that you really want to extinguish. It's very important to think about your thinking. So you know what my thinking is? I'm, I apologize for... How, how, do, how does humanity become so low, Edith? How do we go so bad? What, yeah. what, makes, what makes a human take a wonderful 16-year-old yeah. and put her through this? I never understood that. Yeah. Well, you're the man, and you use the word understand because our hemisphere is divided, and that's why we women, we women can think and feel. I know. A man wants to understand and that is really belonging to academicians. They always want you to go to the classroom and talk about this, about that, and to be sure that you don't feel the feelings, especially in America. Yeah. You know, you talk about the feeling, you medicate the feeling, you do everything with feeling except feel the feeling. And that's what grief is. You cannot heal what you don't feel. And crying is very healthy because what comes out of your body will never make you ill. In Hungary, they tell you, don't breathe into your breast. And when I know when I work with women with breast cancer, they are the kindest people. They don't want to bother anybody. Even in a hospital, they don't want to tell the children anything. How are you? Fine. So I beg people, don't ask, how are you? It's the stupidest thing that you can do. People will say, fine. Yeah. yeah. People are hearing, but they're not listening. So don't ask, how are you? Don't say, how are you? Because people will lie. They tell you, fine, when they're not. So I'd rather say, Jesus, good to see you. I missed you. I like to make sentences rather than asking questions. 
especially why questions. Why is in the past? Why is a problem-oriented world? But still, still you didn't answer me. I mean, I've been very, you know, I don't know why, but the last couple of weeks of my life have been all about that era of humanity when you as a 16-year-old have to go through the most horrendous terrors a human have to go through. And I've been watching that documentary of Oliver Stone, The Untold History of the United States. And just the feeling, the feeling for me is I feel the pain of everyone, which is really too much. And, and, I, and I just don't, I can't comprehend how another human can see that happening to you. I mean, the sentence that makes me cry when I hear you saying it of they were beautiful people, I would have been like them too. The question in my mind is how, how does a human end up being like that? How does a human end up being so switched off from the suffering of others that they allow themselves to see this? See, when a country is experiencing economic problems, Somebody will come with lies. They're going to put a Volkswagen in every garage. They're yeah. going to put that chicken in every pot. See, you are an androgynous man. Androgynous means that you have the male and the female in you. There are not too many androgynous men. We have a lot of males. We have uh, grown boys. But you have the sensitivity of thinking and feeling for others. And I think that is not very common. I think the feminine side of me is, is a feeling... A someone, if yeah. your female gets along with her male, you're going to have good sex. <laughs> True. <laughs> the challenge for me is the feminine side of me feels the empathy for every suffering then the masculine side of me is struggling to comprehend what the path of doing is. And it's, it's just shocking. It really is shocking how humanity can go so low sometimes. Because when we are hungry, we are brainwashed. Yeah. And we believe the lies. There is a book by Adorno, The Authoritarian Personality. He points out that America is ripe for fascism, that small-town USA will listen possibly to someone who is preaching about this and about that, and yeah. people question authority. We got to question authority, because when Ahmad Digidat said the Holocaust didn't exist, that was... he did not listen to Plato, and he did not read Plato as I did, because my mother told me that I have brains and I don't have looks. So I became a very learned uh, teenager. And Plato says you have to think of a lie. It has to be a big one. And then you keep repeating, repeating until people believe it. Can we not tell the truth and repeat it, repeat it? Can we not repeat the story of your, of your team carrying you through the death march to survive. Is that not the story we should tell? Well, I think it's important and I owe it to my parents because one of the most biggest 
uh, gift of God is a gift of memory. I want to tell people what happens when good people, when good people unfortunately give up their freedom and commit themselves. I remember that I had a boy who was 14 years old and he was a member of the white supremacy group. There was a guy way before you were born called David Koresh in Texas and he wanted white America and not the just Jews but everybody who's not white just like Hitler said. You have to be blue-eyed and uh, blonde hair uh, and they kind of take over the world. So when I'm a child, I'm very impressionable. And how would you react if someone tells you that? I mean, child or not? I would say thank you for your opinion. Mm. I would never defend myself. If somebody tells you that pink elephant scrolling on the wall, and yes, I work with schizophrenics, I say, tell me more. Or I just say, oh, oh, oh. But don't deny their truth because they give you their truth. There is no truth. It's all subjective. Oh, my God. You know what Shakespeare said? Shakespeare said, there is no such thing as right or wrong. Only thinking makes it makes so. It so. Yeah. That's why I beg of you. Think about your thinking. And you have that beautiful quality. The androgyny, andro, is for male. And gene is like OBGYN. You know, there was a couple in uh, University of Texas who coined the word androgyny. I wish I could remember their names because I was with them. And uh, that's what comes with age. I have a very good uh, long memory sometimes, but I'm losing the short memory. We love every memory that you share with us. Can I go back to a very difficult memory again as I follow your story? You danced for the angel of death. Yeah, they and as you were dancing, you said he was assigning people to live or die during your dance. Pointing to take this one. And I began to pray, not for me. So I wouldn't be the next one to go. So you see, I was able to somehow guide him to change hatred into pity. I felt sorry for the guard that they were brainwashed. They were wearing a uniform. They would throw children in the oven without even gassing them. I actually prayed. How could any child become this person who is standing before me with a gun? But yet you still... Yet you still had the courage to stand and dance. You still had the courage to take that bread. Yes. How do you summon that? I closed my eyes and I imagined that the music was Tchaikovsky and I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet. When I work with people who were sexually abused, they tell me how they closed their eyes and uh, how they were able to survive. I think it's very important 
to look at the way we look at everything. And in the English language, when someone is angry, you're going to hear the word you. You are stupid. So I tell children in school, when you hear you, you say to yourself, the longer they talk, the more relaxed I become. You take the negative stimuli, turn it into positive, and tell yourself, I'm practicing my low frustration tolerance level. So that's why I don't call me shrink, call me stretch. And I hope <laughs> that I stretch everybody's comfort zone. And that's what I was able to practice in Auschwitz because I had no control over when they're going to throw me in a gas chamber. When I stood four o'clock in the morning, we never knew what's going to happen. And that's what's happening now in COVID. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And to be in a limbo is a very unfortunate position to be. We didn't have any guarantee that we're going to see the end of the day because we didn't know when we took a shower whether gas is going to come out or water. And so how did you handle that? What did you tell yourself? I, I said to myself, it's temporary and I can survive oh it. My God. And if I survive today, tomorrow I'm going to see my boyfriend because he told me I have beautiful eyes and beautiful hands. I, I say today to people, just be a good parent to you and celebrate your special, precious, one of a kind, you because there'll never, ever be another you. So it's all about today, isn't it? I associate so strongly with your story because I feel your pain going through it. But your approach to it is almost the opposite of Viktor Frankl's. For Viktor Frankl, you know, basically says it's about the why. It's about the purpose. You know, if you get the why, you understand all of the hows of life. It's a search for meaning. You're not saying that. Uh, well, he is uh, he's quoting Nietzsche who said, you will uh, know the what if you have a why to live for, if you have a reason to live for, and if you have a purpose. And I think that is actually what happened when I was liberated and they put me in a cast. And I realized that my parents are not coming back. So I didn't say what. I would say what for, and that is referred to as the existential vacuum, that, that you don't have a purpose in life and a purpose in your existence. Mm -hmm. And I don't take anything for granted because I know that I was chosen to survive so I can guide others to be survivors and not victims. I refuse to be a victim. It's not who I am. It's what was done to me. Absolutely. It's very important not to take things personally. Sometimes when people talk to you, all you have to put an eye in front of it because they're actually projecting to you. Especially if they feel stupid, they're going to call you stupid. <laughs> yeah, isn't that what happens all the time? Yeah. Just don't take it personally. 
And so you're saved. And in your own words, you said, I have nothing but gratitude. Yes. So instead, you live in the now. I love the word grace, that you do something that you don't expect anything back because giving is getting. My late husband would go once a week to buy me papayas. And then he would cut up the papayas. And my daughter was in the University of Texas. He came home and he opened up the bedroom door and she declared that she was a communist. I don't think she knew a thing about communism, but she had long hair. She was a real hippie. And she saw me in the bed with my Christian Dior nightgown, my husband sitting on the bed feeding me the papaya. I got the picture. And she looked at me and she says, Mother, you are disgusting. She didn't understand that I give my husband joy, the pleasure to go to get my papaya from a guy called Chewy. He would go to visit Chewy, who saved the red papaya, that this was giving him the joy. She didn't have the maturity. Today, she won't do that. She just looked at me like the little doll sitting there, not realizing, I think there is one word that I have for codependency is immaturity. When a person assigns someone else the responsibility for their feelings. Because children blame. I'm angry because you do that and you do that and you... No, no one makes me angry. But when you're angry, chances are you have a lot of pain and a lot of fear. And you're not born with fear. We learn to fear. I believe that to be true 100%. I believe anger is the puffer fish making itself big or the you know cat hissing. This is, yeah, I am afraid of you. I want to scare you away with my anger, sort of. Yes, and, and you create panic. And that works with many, many times in many countries. Yeah. Yes. Then you take yourself which I have to say must be the bravest thing any human has ever done. You take yourself back to Auschwitz. Yes. After all of those events. Tell me about that. It was a pivotal moment. I was asked that yesterday, and I said when I began to work with Vietnam veterans, and I have two of them coming to see me, both paraplegic, and one of them was against against everyone and blaming the country and why me and the other one said to me you know i'm sitting in a wheelchair and i can see my children's eyes much closer and i can see the flowers and it came to me that i'm wearing a white coat that says dr eager department of psychiatrist and I'm a biggest imposter because I had a 16-year-old in me that I never shared. I kept my secret because I just wanted to be a Yankee doodle dandy. And I couldn't take them further than I have gone myself 
And that's when I decided to go back to Auschwitz. I wish I could meet those two Vietnam veterans. I do work with PTSD, but I mostly make the dis... It's not post-traumatic stress disorder. See, we pathologize too much. I like to demythologize. There is no perfect family. There is no perfect anything. We're humans. We're fallible. We make mistakes. So I think that was the best thing I did for me. But when I asked my sister to join me, and I told her we lost our family, we never went to a funeral. I want to honor my mother, who told me in the cattle car, we don't know where we're going, we don't know what's going to happen. Just remember, no one can take away from you what you put in your own mind. And that's exactly what happened. Everything was taken away from me. And I had my mind, and I had my sister. If someone comes to see me with someone else, I know I'm going to have much more success than somebody who comes alone. I think belonging is very important for us to talk about, that we belong to the human race. We do. And we empower each other with our differences that you can be you and I can be I. And we're much stronger together than me alone. But how did it feel? I mean, did you get there and immediately arrive at forgiveness? Was that, did you panic? I did not panic because I was able to think of them that they were the prisoners, not me. Oh my God, you are amazing. Isn't it? I thought that they will have a conscience that I'm innocent and they're the ones who are going to pay for it. So I felt sorry for them to wear this uniform, carrying the gun, taking my blood. And when I asked, why do you take my blood? He said, to aid the German soldiers so we can finally win the war and take over the world. I didn't yank my arm away, but I said to myself, you're a pretty stupid idiot because <laughs> I was a ballerina and I bet with my blood you're never going to win the war. That's why I differentiate between reacting or responding. And in your heart, this forgiveness is real. Yeah. In your heart, you actually feel they were the ones that lost. Yes, I thought that they will be the ones who are going to have to pay for the murders, for the ways that they were able to be brainwashed, that they were the ultimate prisoners. And today I say that the biggest prison is in your own mind and the key is in your pocket. And this is a good time now in COVID that you examine your life, where you came from, where are you now, and make peace with your parents. Make your peace with the part of you. And guilt is in the past. And you tell yourself, if I knew then what I know now, believe me, my parents had tickets to come to America. So you've got to forgive yourself 
so you don't become the prisoner of the past or a hostage of the past. And that's what forgiveness is. Not me forgiving you. I don't have such godly power. But for me to go back to Auschwitz and reclaim my innocence and assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator, I realize that you cannot forgive without rage. Don't medicate grief. Scream it out. But don't get addicted to anger. Some people <laughs> yes. are just addicted anger. They get stuck there. You got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. Just don't set up house on that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Don't, don't make it feel too comfortable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Don't camp there. Just go through it like in a black tunnel. You go through the tunnel looking for light. It's good to pick an arrow. And this is a good time out, like in football, to regroup where you are. And there are no crises in the world. There are only transitions. There are no problems. There are only challenges. Hmm. It's the way you think about everything. That's how it's going to feel. And that's very important to recognize that what you think, you create. What you think, you create. You create. What do you mean? If you say two words, I'm never going to find a man. Women tell me that. I'm never going to find a man. And I say, if I were a man, I would run from you. You have to be like a fireplace that the moth come to come close to you. Yeah. If you tell yourself, I am the most attractive out there, there is a man that is crazy about who I am, you're attracting that man. That's right. Fear and love does not coexist. If you think fear, you're going to have more fear. And violence breeds violence. I think it's very important to change your thinking and you can change your life. Not to become a positive thinker, because none of the positive thinking does any good unless it's followed with a positive action. Otherwise, you become a gonna person. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do mm -hmm. it. Uh, and then you become a gonna person rather than make a decision, put it into action. I'm gonna have to repeat what you said. The biggest concentration camp is in your own mind is in our own mind is in your pocket and so this is how a woman like you 16 year old a ballerina going through all of those atrocities can be inside hell but not in the concentration camp because your mind is able to see that if i survive today tomorrow i'll see my boyfriend yes and and I can go dancing at 92. I can still walk and move on. My daughter calls it idiotism. <laughs> I say the opposite of depression is expression because what comes out of your body never makes you ill. Mm. If you have a secret, share it. What comes out, you feel better. Crying is very good. Grieving is very good. And the other is, are you revolving or are you evolving? 
So that's yeah, you're why going I, back to it. I love the butterfly. I have yes. two butterfly chairs uh, behind me. I like the idea of the metamorphosis, but then you have to shed the chrysalis. So give up the need for approval of other people. Give up the need to any kind of perfectionism. See, my granddaughter was a perfectionist. And I went to her school, and the teacher called her my little red caboose. You know, that's the red training. Okay. And she was a perfectionist. She would erase everything 10 million times. And she was ready to leave that class that the IQ studied at 145 because she didn't think that she qualified. And then I talked to my granddaughter about Auschwitz, that she cannot change what the teacher is going to say, but she cannot ever take it personally. And she went back to school. And then in high school, she went to the Bishop School, wonderful school in La Jolla, California, when she wrote her autobiography, the title was When the Caboose Became an Engine. Mm. And she got into Princeton. She graduated at honors. She wrote her thesis on her grandma. She got a PhD at uh, UCLA. And uh, she's now doctor, teaches at the university. Isn't it amazing how some of what we're told is so holding us back? It's good to have that arrow and we are interrupted. Okay, you don't overcome. You come to terms with it, but it's never over. I remember I went to a steakhouse here and I was walking on cobblestones Immediately, I remembered when children were spitting at us as we were walking in Germany, calling us pigs and you name it. And I felt so sorry for the children that they are taught to hate. Yeah. And you know what? Later on, I worked with German families in a military hospital and a little girl comes and jumps in my lap and calls me Oma. <laughs> so you see... As you see, so don't try to run from it. Invite it in and realize that it's temporary. But when I drive sometimes, I see blocks of being uh, closed down with a barbed wire and I immediately see myself in Auschwitz. In fact, it helps me because I know that I'm not there. I'm here. I don't have to give it power. I don't have to be the hostage of the past. I claim the true me. And many times we give it up when we are children. You see, this is what's mind-blowing, Edith, because anyone who would see something that reminds them of such horror yeah. would go back to that moment. But the way you describe it is, it helps me because it reminds me that I'm here now. I'm not there anymore. That's the positive side of it. It is. That's why my book is called The Gift. That there is a gift because sometimes we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it. I do not ever throw out food. 
I never ever go to a restaurant and leave their people's mind what they're going to do with their food because if they don't eat up their food, I will take it home and or eat it. I take me out to lunch. I eat my food and if you leave it on your plate, I either eat it or take it home. I wish I could take you out to lunch. Would you go out to lunch with me? I wish I could cook for you a good Hungarian. Oh my God. Oh my God. I will, I will cook for you. Absolutely. I'll go anywhere in the world, cook for you, clean after I cook and rub your feet because you are the absolute gift. You are truly what this humanity needs to understand. I always ask my husband to rub my feet. I love people to mess with my feet. I am there. I am the absolute feet rubber. Rub in this. my feet. Yeah. Totally, totally, Edith. And if there is a, any, any gift this humanity should give to you, I think all of humanity should line up behind you because what you're teaching us, this is true wisdom. This is not only finding a way to survive this is a way to thrive and take the rest of humanity with you. You know what kills me? And, you know, one of the reasons I fell totally in love with what you teach is, so I am originally an Egyptian. I was born and raised in the Middle East. And of course, as you can imagine, you're taught as a young person who the enemy is. And then through my career, of course, I worked with thousands of Jews around the world and thousands of Israelis and in all honesty, wonderful humans. In a very unusual way, suddenly you start to, like you said, question authority, question what you were told. And I believe them probably dealing with me started to go like, he's okay, you know, this guy is cool. And I find it incredible that humanity is unable to see that even though I disagree with every act of killing, every act of violence that exists in our world today, whether it's, you know, on the Middle Eastern side, in the African side, or wherever it is, I don't care. I disagree with every one of them. That doesn't make you and I not part of the same team. You and I, by definition, are one. You and I, by definition, are, like you said, around your mates in the camp. We were in it together. We are in it together, and the Palestinians and the Israelis are Semites. They are brothers. They are brothers. And they are brothers. And look what we do. Two brothers. We are brothers. I like to do everything in my power. And I had Israeli kids and Palestinian kids getting together. I did it here. I take the Jewish school kids to the Muslim schools and the kids hold hands and they have a project and they don't have time to blame anyone. Because kids are born with love. And joy. And joy. Yeah, if they don't condition them, they're, they're just there with love and joy. They learn to, yeah. to create the us and them mentality. But there is a Hitler in every one of us. What do you mean? If I would have been in Germany and I would have been told that I'm going to take over the world, you see, children are very impressionable. Mm. See, my daughter in Switzerland last year realized that there was a guy there who discovered that his grandfather was a Nazi. And now my daughter 
and him joined and they're giving lectures. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love this they so are much. Life coaches. They are life coaches, leadership coaches, and the two are getting together. A daughter of a survivor and a grandson of a Nazi and getting together and they're lecturing actually on my book. I have to host them here. I have to hear their stories, honestly. These are the examples our world needs to hear. This is... Can I ask you a very sensitive question and please feel free to, to avoid it if you want. You constantly talk of God. Yes. If someone has gone through what you've gone through, they would question where God is. The biggest objection I always hear about the concept of God is if there was a God, Auschwitz wouldn't happen. How could God let that happen? God gave us a choice. God didn't kill my parents. People did, who were brainwashed. Don't blame God. God was with me. Many times people ask me, Orthodox Jews, where was God in Auschwitz? I say, God was with me. <laughs> That's such a beautiful statement. That's such a beautiful statement. Even though you were going through hell. And God told me that somehow everything is for my greater good. If I wouldn't have been in Auschwitz, I wouldn't talk like that because I talk what I lived. That's why I'm successful because Kurung was a time in my life that I got the best education, how not to ever allow anybody to murder my spirit. You are the absolute, you are the absolute gift. You truly are the gift. I'm going to ask you a very personal question. Actually, two questions that I ask people. And one is, when did your childhood end? Because, you know, I took care of my mom when I was young. And many times little boys become mommy's little men because daddy goes to war and God knows what. Or mom has migraine headaches. And so when did your childhood end? It's very important. The second question is, would you like to be married to you? <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> so you got a divorce because you didn't come to Edie Eager, who was going to tell you what you hate in other people. You need to look at that in you, that you learn to negotiate, you learn to compromise, you learn two things in marriage, give and take and tolerating differences. You said this once, which really blew me away, that someone asked you, what's your advice to young women? And you said, be independent, be free, something like that, right? Become emotionally and financially independent. That you don't need somebody. If someone says, I need you, run. <laughs> I wrote it somewhere, hold on. You said, if you can't be happy alone, you will never be happy with another. You're so good. I love everything that you do. That's why. I love this interview because you also put yourself in it. You got a divorce because you either had something what you didn't want 
or you wanted something what you didn't have? Well, I would probably want my daughter to marry someone like me. I think I'm a good man. I think on the other hand... We are all born good, but we marry people we don't know. Exactly. Just look at Roma and Juliet. We assign to them everything that we crave for. That's exactly the point. And actually, interestingly, I'm posting online as we speak a small series that I call Finding Mr. Right. And the problem is, if we don't know what Mr. Right is, we imagine that there is someone out there, a, a knight in a shining armor. I tell you what you do. You write down that person that would be the ideal life partner to you. And then you become that person and the likelihood of attracting what you desire will make that happen. See? That is so true. Just write down the ideal life partner, somebody who is kind and generous and powerful. A powerful doesn't mean that you have this power, that you have inner strength. And then you become that person because what you practice, you're going to be better at what you practice. So if you practice fear, you'll have more fear. If you are against something, it's not so good as being for something. I was very suicidal when I was liberated. I wanted to die. I realized that my parents are not coming home. I didn't say what I said, what for. I didn't have any, any, anything to look forward to. And I really wanted to die. And I know that God told me, that if I die, I am a coward. But if I live, I can be for something. And that's how I am a member of the healing, not curing, healing or profession. Do you believe really that things happen for a reason, that you went through all of this so that you teach us? Yes. So I can be here today. I'm going to have 93 years and September 29th is my birthday is coming up. And I feel younger than I ever did. Because you're, because you are. But not young and foolish. I'm not smart. I hope to be wise. Oh. You're a man of strength, honey. And you may have some unfinished emotional business. And I'm offering up to you that you just call and we'll have a session. And that's No, no, no. I'm, I'm cooking for you. And then we have a session. You, you cook in the kitchen. Yeah, that's the plan. About cooking, the ingredients that you put into it, it's how the pudding is going to taste. Absolutely. Absolutely. You were asked once if you had one wish, and you said, my wish is that nobody ever has to go through what I have gone through. That's it. Looking at the world today, do you think that this is our reality? Do you think that we are heading in a direction where no one would go where you were before? And if not, what can we do to make sure that this is the reality? I think you never give up hope. How do you find hope in hopelessness? Look for that sunshine, look for that light, and do what is humanly possible. That you don't sit around and complaining and uh, look at only 
what's wrong. And there is a lot of ways that now we can empower each other yeah. and form a human family. You know, I was with Martin Luther King and I remember singing, we shall overcome with the mamas and the papas at the 1963 when you were still waiting to be born somewhere. You were already singing with the mamas and the papas then? And then because, see, love is not what you feel, is what you do. Do you have children? I do. I have two of them. You are the role model to the children, how you treat their mother. Oh, I love their mother so much. <laughs> She's wonderful. We're, we're no longer together, but she's amazing. I treat her with total love. She treats me with complete love. There is no going back. People ask me, did you love your husband? I said, when I married my husband, I was weak. I was skinny. I was hungry. And he bought me salami and Swiss cheese. And that <laughs> did it for me. But when I married him the second time, I married as a woman to a man. There is no going back. There is mm. only a new beginning. I'm wishing for a, a new beginning for our world. I'm wishing for our world to stand together. Did she remarry? She didn't. Neither did I. We are in a very, very... I always say there are 19 ways a man and a woman can be close. One of them is not Nibel and I, and then the other 18 are still there. We're the best partners, best friends. We're very close. We raise our, uh, yeah, our child. Uh, you know, I lost a child and child stayed to, to make life celebration for us. And uh, let me tell you, mm -hmm. it's not about lost and found. Mm -hmm. How old was the child when the child died? Ali left us when he was 21 and a half. Okay, so God sent the Spirit to you. Totally. For totally. 20 years. Totally, you're spot on. Your job is to celebrate the 21 years. I swear to you, that's exactly what I tell the world. I tell the world that the truth is Ali didn't die when he was 21. I never had a guarantee, you know, from life that he was going to come in the first place. The fact that he came and blessed me with 21 and a half years is the gift. It's not taking him away at 21 and a half. I, I was blessed. He went home. The spirit was sent to you for 21 years and he was going home. You didn't lose him. Mm. He gifted you. God gifted you with the spirit that was sent to you. That is totally true. Totally this is true. beautiful that you can really practice the celebration totally of every birthday, of every little moment that you had, but you don't lose someone. Life is not about losing anyone. It's celebrating, yeah. and no one can take that away from you. I think it's beautiful to think about life is not about losing, it's about getting in the first place because we come to life with zero and so everything that we get in life is something we get right it's above zero
wouldn't be the blank piece of paper in Latin called tabula rasa, and then we write on it, we write on it, whether I want to become a winner or a loser, because we can be our own worst enemy, we can self-sabotage. Yeah. My final question for you today was going to be about growing up being told that someone else is the enemy. Who really is the enemy? And I think you answered it many times today. The real enemy is my mind. If I can manage that mind to see the world for what it really is with the gratefulness that life is life, it is here, it is now, and I can enjoy it, then that enemy is gone. That's the biggest enemy. The more choices you have, the less you're ever going to feel like a victim. I am not a victim. It's not my identity. It's what was done to me. And that way, I think that forgiveness is a gift that you give to you. I can only say one more time, Edith, you're the most attractive woman on the planet. And I love you so dearly, so dearly. I am grateful for the gift that you are, for the story that you tell. And you truly have changed my life, and I'm sure you're going to keep changing the lives of hundreds of thousands of people every day. And I do want to thank Ireland that my book became the bestseller. And when I was in Ireland, I received more love, more hugs, and more dancing. <laughs> yes. More dancing. That was brilliant for them. So, yes. I am so happy that you and I had this time together. And I am too. And I'm telling everyone here if you have not read The Gift uh, and The Choice, you absolutely have to read them. These are must, must read components in your life. And uh, I would recommend you do what I did watch every single video. Edith has ever had on YouTube. I mean, like seriously, there is not a single one where I don't gasp consistently and just fall in love. I think it's a, it's a simple view of life that is the result of all of the experiences that life can throw at one human. Edith, you truly are the gift. I'm really, really grateful. Just keep, keep walking, keep moving, keep remembering, evolving, not revolving. And who knows, who knows uh, how the future is going to give you the gift of life that you can truly never ever blame, especially not yourself, because self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. You know, there was a Jewish boy called Jesus, and that Jewish boy became a prophet and he told us to love thy neighbor as thyself. Because I love that. If you love you, you're not going to love anybody else. So I hope you're a good role model to the children because children don't do what we say. They, they do what we do. Yeah, yeah. And they do what you do, not what you say you do. Thank you for your tears, your sensitivity. It's one of my most meaningful interviews I ever had in my whole life. Oh my God.
and I have a very special place in my heart for you. And a special place in my kitchen for me to cook for you one day. Beautiful. I'm taking you out, Edith. Everyone heard it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you.